what am I supposed to do, free will, and other everyday problems. Behind the podcast of episode EF3, I'm Scott Ely. Welcome to episode EF17 of the Evolve Faster podcast. You're about to listen to a behind the podcast of a previous episode, episode EF3, which was season one, episode one of the Evolve Faster podcast titled All Aboard the Experience Machine, Destination Unknown. The driving question of this episode and this behind the podcast is what are you supposed to do? I'm just going to read the first paragraph of the plot on this episode to remind people of what this one was about. Jonathan finds himself forced between two paths, a meaningful life filled with risky choices or a safe life that might be filled with regret. If only there were a way to make everything simple, like an autopilot that steers the train towards an easy, happy, and perfect finish line for you. But he has just half a day to find the solution to the issue we all face on a daily basis. What's the right decision? 12 hours, millions of questions, and seemingly no answers. So everything has to begin somewhere, and the Evolve Faster podcast is no exception. And oddly enough, this episode wasn't the first one we started, finished or recorded. But it is the first episode of season one, and as such, it holds a special place in my heart. But there is one aspect that survived in only this episode. Now that so much time has passed, I look at episode one as a personal memory and the keeper of something that no longer exists, but more on that later. First, I'd like to go through submitted questions related to the content and the creative process behind this episode. The next series of podcasts are going to be both behind the podcast and ask me anything about each episode of season one. And the reason I'm doing that is there's a lot of questions that build up because these are fictional episodes that have uh, a lot of deep content. And so there's kind of no chance to have a discussion. So these behind the podcast will kind of get behind the why the episode was created, how it was created, some of the stories. And then the Ask Me Anything will just be more questions about the episode itself and the content and the proofs and all that. Let's get started. And I'll, here's the questions I'm going to try to get through today. Some of these may not get touched, but we'll cover things like why the question, what am I supposed to do? Do you think we have free will? Why the train metaphor? Would you plug into the experience machine? Are you talking about there being no way there can be heaven? Is this based on anyone? Do kids still have these early college crises? Is mental hedonism really a path to happiness? Was the head transplant a link to the next episode? And a few other questions. So we'll see which of these we can get through. I'm gonna go ahead and get started with the first one. Why, what am I supposed to do as the question for the first episode? So I'm gonna give a few quotes from the episode here that I thought were relevant to this question. We all want to make decisions that hopefully lead to an understanding of what we're supposed to do in this world, don't we? He was interested in the big questions of life, but plagued by the realities of it. Who knows, maybe the actual problem was the fear of accepting that there wasn't a higher meaning to our existence. So if you think about it, what am I supposed to do seems to be the most obvious and accessible question of them all, right? It seems so logical to start the first episode with this particular big question because it's kind of one of the themes of the entire podcast. What am I supposed to do? What's the meaning of life? There's no 
answers to these questions, or there's no one answer to these questions, I should say. That's kind of what the whole podcast is themed about, the search for not really answers, but better questions to these big questions. Those of you who regularly listen to the podcast probably noticed that season one th moved forward and topics became more specific. So while this is a question that challenges all of us all the time, it's probably not something we stop to think about often. And how could we? There are obviously lots of things we have to do every day, eat, work, sleep, socialize, and the list goes on. But at the same time, in all those regular day-to-day -day activities, we are underneath the hood, half consciously asking ourselves, what am I supposed to do? Am I in the right job? Am I in the right relationship? The right path in life? What if I did this instead of that? And without some guidance, it does seem a bit of a tough question to take on. For most of the time, we just roll with it and hope for the best. So this episode holds this millennia old question, you know, acknowledges that there is no answer to it. But I tried to cover a lot of the thinkers that have have tackled this from a few different perspectives, both Eastern and Western philosophy. It might make you wonder at the end of the day, you know, why we ask the question at all or talk about these theories if we can't find the answer. But that's the point. The point is that n none of these theories have answers, but they're just guiding, they're just guiding lights to find your way to living a life that is, is examined and you feel like you're in control of it. So why are we here and what are we supposed to do are kind of the cornerstone questions of who we are. So with that said, it made sense to revolve the cornerstone Evolve Faster episode around the same question. And that's why it's season one, episode one. Do you think we have free will? Well, this episode isn't specifically about free will, but it certainly touches on the topic. I have an entire episode planned. I think it's slated for season three to take on the question, do we have free will? But here's a couple of relevant quotes from this EF3 episode. Imagine evolution to be the programmer and our mind to be the software this great programmer is trying to create through algorithms. And there you are, Jonathan, a man with outdated code whose motives make him do things that are out of his control. One more. I'm sorry to be this, the one breaking this to you, but just being at the top of the food chain doesn't make us like gods. Humans are tribal, biased, emotional, ego-driven creatures whose actions are more often than not predetermined. So those are a couple areas where the theme touches on it. And there's another question in this, in this behind the podcast about the train metaphor. I, I answer that question by saying, you know, the train's an interesting metaphor because you're predetermined put on these tracks. Do, do you have free will as one of the most enduring philosophical battles of the history of philosophical battles. It has to be one of the most discussed questions that even today has strong proponents on both sides of this equation. It really doesn't seem to be an answer that even the most learned thinkers believe can be answered. A good example of this is Daniel Dennett and Sam Harris. These are two leading guys in what's called the New Atheist Movement. So you'd think they'd be on the same side of this issue, especially since free will has ethical implications relating to religion, but they're not. Sam thinks we don't have free will, and Dan thinks we do. They did at least an hour or so on one of Sam's podcasts discussing it, and in my opinion, it went nowhere. I feel like religions are speaking out of both sides of their mouths on this one too. God has a plan and works in mysterious ways, meaning you don't have free will, but you're a sinner and you must repent for your actions. You have free will, 
what? <laughs> Some of the challenge in this, I think, comes in the in the definitions and nomenclature here. So what exactly do we mean by free will, for example? The complete ability to determine every single thing you do, and therefore the other side would be absolutely no control over your actions. So there's definitely scientific proof that is relevant here, I think, but maybe not decisive. Multiple studies show there's brain activity of what someone's thought or action will be well before that person has conscious acknowledgement of the action they're about to take. Meaning our subconscious knows things before we do if we means our conscious self. So that's kind of creepy. But isn't our subconscious also us? Meaning just because our conscious self recognizes a thought after our subconscious does, doesn't mean that we didn't think that thought. To me, this is where it gets a little hairy because on one hand, yes, it would imply that we don't consciously know what our next thought will be. But wouldn't you, couldn't you argue that doesn't matter because the subconscious is also you? I mean, if you wake up with an idea for a song, that clearly came from your subconscious overnight. But you give yourself credit for the idea, right? Because likely the lyrics are some mashup of your life's experiences that were sort of data mined from your subconscious. Didn't come out of nowhere, it came from your subconscious, whether you voluntarily decided to pull it up or not. But then Sam Harris and Yuval Noah Harari, a different author, challenge things even further by pointing out some of the realities of our lack of control over what got us here and what comes out of our minds. So Sam says in his book, Free Will, that you don't pick your genes, you don't pick your parents, etc. So all of these things lead to a layered set of decisions in your life, none of which were actually of your own devices or choosing. And Yuval Noah Harari says that it's actually worse than this. And he highlights some other science. Everything in our being and composition as humans is run by biological algorithms all the way down to the cell cellular level, of which we ultimately have zero control. Nothing is under our control, never was, and never will be. I kind of see it like this. Your subconscious is, in a way, the database, and the conscious is the user interface. You can't store all the data on the front end. Your conscious mind has lots of work to do in just making sure you don't walk out into traffic. The back end half of you, therefore, does the data crunching and presents ideas as it sees fit. But they're still your ideas, right? Meaning your consciousness can't necessarily make a lot of the decisions. It just recognizes when your subconscious has decided on something. So I delve into free will in a lot of episodes besides this one. In episode EF10, the character Alex decides to get a tattoo to remind himself of a worldview that's important to him. Kind of like a persistent post-it note, like the movie Memento. And to me, this is the part that matters. So no, we don't control our genetics, our parents, etc. No, we don't control the biological algorithms that manage everything about us. No, we don't directly control our subconscious. But given all those things, we do have the ability to navigate the ship we've been given, or at least to feel like we do. So let me explain this through an example. If the idea is handed to me for my subconscious, which my conscious mind had some say in at some point, that I should take guitar lessons, my conscious self now has been given the opportunity to act on that information. I can put a post-it note right on my computer to sign up for guitar lessons. And if I see it the next day, 
I will probably pick up the phone and make that call. Or, like Alex and EF10, I could get more extreme and get a tattoo on my arm reading, guitar is really important to you, so keep learning. I don't see that it matters that I didn't consciously query my subconscious for that idea. What matters is that I consciously decided to act on it. Because I could have easily decided to ignore it. Whether that's free will or not doesn't really matter to me. The feeling of free will and what you do about it is what matters to me. And this is also what enables us to be culpable for our conscious actions. So to summarize, no, we don't have free will from the perspective that we have zero control over who and what we are from day one. We are a predetermined biological machine. But from the first day we have controlled conscious experiences, which is probably around the age of seven or so, once the kind of hallucinogenic fog of our developing brain starts to lift, we'll be presented with ideas that pop up from our earned database of life experiences, our subconscious. We will have the option on a day-to-day -day basis to decide which of those ideas to act on. And to me, that conscious feeling of free will, which is lever leveraging our earned and powerful subconscious database, is what allows us to live with the sense of purpose and perception of control. Because perception is reality. Confused? <laughs> it's neither a simple question nor a simple answer, but that's my take on it. Why the train metaphor? Well, it actually started because the title of the episode hit me one day and I just thought it was really cool. I mean, come on, all aboard the experience machine, Destination Unknown is a pretty cool title. So I keep these lists of titles running and usually as a metaphor idea hits me, I'll experiment with a couple titles. And that was actually probably the first title that even though this wasn't the first episode that was finished, that was probably the first title that kind of gave me the theme of how the titles would look. I really liked the title and I kind of organized the episode in a way around, make, or I, actually I organized the metaphor around making the making it work. So the train metaphor actually comparing it to the rest of the season is probably the least well integrated. It was a little bit of an add-on because I was figuring out how the metaphors would work at the time. There's certainly more to it than that meaning that the, the metaphor works, I just didn't develop it nearly as much as I did in later episodes, like you get to the end of the season, episode EF13, where the title is The Bloody Fingerprint of Creativity. And it's, you know, the metaphor, the imagery is all completely integrated from the title all the way through to the, the very last line of the, of the piece. But the train metaphor is definitely still relevant and it, it's semi-integrated into this ep episode. I had to make the episodes more visual and I started applying this kind of concept of a one clear metaphor to integrate into the title under the whole episode. As all the episodes were being written, again, this was one of the first ones I tried to tackle this concept on. And it was kind of a lucky break because the train-based title came to me on a writing break and then I realized, hey, there's my first metaphor and we already had the scene where Jonathan's standing on the, on the train platform. So it's a little bit less of a perfect fit and less integrated than the rest of the season, but it works. I, I do find looking out of train windows interesting, as Jonathan does in the, you know, and, and any kind of moving car, but trains in particular. Trains have a specific path, like unlike a car, trains rarely choose 
exactly where they want to go. It's, it's predetermined. And that's kind of what's going on with Jonathan in the episode. In a way, you can make the most of it and take advantage of what's along the path, but ultimately your path doesn't really change. So this fit with the free will and existential challenges that are kind of embodied in this episode and what Jonathan's going through. Obviously that doesn't propose an existential problem to an enormous steel monster of train, but a human, that's a completely different beast. In a way, we all have our own rails that guide us. So instead of steel or wood, our rails are made out of family, friends, and society, and so that in a lot of ways are a predetermined path. But you do get to choose if you want to follow those rails. It's just that most people don't. Most people don't rock that boat and build rails that go off in their own direction because it's much easier to stay on those rails that were kind of laid out for you. You have to ask yourself, do you get to choose what you're supposed to do? Or are you simply here for a 70-year long ride called life? There's this helpless feeling wrapped in a blanket of safety and in a train going only where the, the rails allow. And it's kind of a nice metaphor for our supposedly limited life until you decide to ditch the rails. So if you think about it, going on, out on the beaten path feels dangerous, like a train jumping off the rails. And that's what the, the three-sentence teaser for this episode is, is getting at. So if a train somehow does that, what can it do then? Does it just stay in the ditch, hoping someone will get it out? So it's an even bigger challenge when you realize, although initially you believe you do want to be able to choose, more than not, we enjoy the comfort of a predetermined path. And why wouldn't we? It's easier, it's more comfortable, and you can fall asleep while someone else is driving. Would you plug into the experience machine? So back when we were brainstorming which philosophers we could use for this episode, Robert Nozick's experience machine seemed like a perfect fit. So I'd even say it influenced the whole story to a certain degree, especially in, in, in the end. So I'll quote Nozick one more time. Of course, I'm going to make it a bit shorter. Suppose there were an experience machine that would give you any experience you desired, would you plug in? So just this sentence alone makes for a perfect story tagline. Naturally, there are already tons of novels and movies that cover this topic. So it goes without saying, the initial idea wasn't the most original one. But when I dug deeper, I realized I wasn't fascinated by the idea itself as much as I was fascinated by, you could call it the vibe of this idea. Imagine if five minutes after listening to me, someone turned off the machine and you woke up. What a shocker. I wanted to transfer that feeling to the episode more than I wanted to transfer the main idea. So that's the reason in the end why the episode takes a bit of a weird turn at the very end. As if I'd plug in, I likely not. I, I want the exhilaration of driving and me being behind the wheel. I'm kind of picturing the train going on this simple track along the bottom of a valley and I'm in the car on the dark, windy road. So you don't know what's around the next curve, but at least you feel in control of the car. Poetic, I know. But then again, what do I know? That might already be happening, even as I'm speaking these sentences. Maybe someone out there thought it was a good idea for Scott Ely to record this BTP episode. So if you go back to the main story episode, you'll also find that Nozick's opinion on it, with which I agree, that most people wouldn't plug in because people 
want to do things instead of just having an artificial experience. If you think about it, it's kind of a stark statement on how a lot of people are living their lives now kind of vicariously through social media and doing a lot less things out in the world and with people instead of kind of living this experience that they have on social media. I mean, just look at Instagram and you can see it happening. For a more in-depth overview of this, I'd, I'd suggest you check out the episode if you haven't already. Is this episode implying that there's no way there can be a heaven? So yes, this is my opinion, and there's also a lot of philosophy in both Eastern and Western thought to back this up, and some of it's in the episode. So I'll read a couple quotes from the episode, but the Buddhist perspective, for example, is you can't have pleasure without understanding suffering, because without the relativity, you can't experience pure pleasure. This concept of there being pure pleasure for an eternity it seems a little preposterous. The, as an example, from when I'm working on the podcast, I can imagine my perfect heaven to be where everything goes smoothly, the episodes pretty much write themselves instead of having to constantly go back and forth, hoping something good comes out. But first of all, that's never going to happen. And even if it did, I think I wouldn't feel the you know the the pleasure in the the podcast for me comes in the work it takes to 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 go through the suffering periods suffering being a relative turn here i'm not starving but i i am suffering because i'm mentally agonizing over why a certain episode isn't working and if it were just all to be easy all the time that would be completely boring i've i've heard a quote something about like when you go out skiing, you don't want it to be 12 inches of new powder every day. Because if you don't have the relativity of knowing what a bad ski day is, then you can't really appreciate. Uh, at that point, you're just going to want something more. I'll read a couple quotes from the episode that I think do a better job than I'm doing right now. You seem to believe that to gain happiness, it must be at the cost of sadness and the other way around. It's as if you're trying to remove one side of the coin but you can't remove one side without obliterating the coin altogether, can you? And you're that coin, Jonathan. So another one, you can never achieve pleasure without suffering because without suffering, there couldn't possibly be pleasure. If you're not aware of there being an up, how can you be aware of there being a down? And then the godly happiness where you're in some garden where only good things happen isn't possible, but human happiness is. That is the happiness of becoming your highest self. So I think those quotes do a, a pretty good job of uh, getting across the uh, the perspective. And uh, I, I've quoted a couple kids' books now, but I'm in that phase where I go to the library and grab my kid 20 or 30 books every week. And I just read her one the other day that reminded me of this question as I was preparing some notes for this podcast. It was a book, I believe, called Just, Just Like Heaven. And it's this... Uh, I think it's a little dog that falls asleep under a tree and wakes up and a, a, a fog has come down. And so everything looks misty and different. And he wakes up and thinks that he's died. And so he walks around and because he thinks he's in heaven, he sees the world completely differently. Everything gives him this pleasure and joy and everything's more beautiful and 
the smells are more beautiful. And he sees this kind of the, the pinnacle of the story as he sees this, or maybe it's a cat, because he sees this dog that's tied up and, and barking and real angry. Because he thinks it's heaven, he goes over and instead of being scared and channeling that same fear, he gives dog a, hu a hug. Of course, the dog like breaks down and it's, and it's this whole thing. And then of course the fog lifts and he realizes that, oh, wait a minute, this where I'm at right now is just like heaven. So I didn't even need all that. It was just a mindset shift. I thought it was a really good book and it kind of reminded me of this of this question that I knew I was going to be answering because it just depends on the perspective and you have to see that you know you you have these you have these two sides to this coin and you can't get rid of rid of one without the other. And if you walk around and see your everyday life as this is just like heaven, everything can be beautiful if you want it to. All my wisdom these days comes from books for two-year-olds. <laughs> is this story based on anyone or you? So a quote from the episode. He was existentially confused. He was existentially tired. Yet somehow, he also felt something he can only describe as exhilaration. So now this question is getting kind of personal. But this is, this is a BTP. So yeah, I mean, who hasn't... I mean, all these stories end up being about you in some way. When you, you can't write something with multiple characters and not infuse some of yourself in them. But the multiple characters give me this opportunity to think about both sides of an issue. In the format of this podcast, it lets me look at different perspectives of different philosophers and psychology perspectives and science perspectives. I mean, who hasn't felt existentially worn out by life? Even when I'm working on something I love, like the podcast, or spending my time with my favorite little person, um, life can just feel like too much to handle sometimes. You know, we ask ourselves these questions, have I made the right decisions? Have I taken the right job? Have I gone down the right path? Did I, should, should I have done this? Should I have done something else? Should I do something tomorrow? What are we supposed to do? To play the game, we can't get fed up of searching. And in a way, that's probably the main rule search or you're as good as done. So I've jumped trains back in my college years and likely still now I, I make, you know, I'm, I, I jumped on the train to make this podcast and I've had lots of doubts of whether or not I should do it. And Antonio, who helps me with the, with the episodes, is always jumping on trains. We all are. So with that said, the episode, just like every other, is based on me, you, us, all of us. These themes these big questions are, are put into these story formats because they're a little more like fables and like modern day fables, modern day cautionary tales to remind us that we have to still address these big questions that today get kind of lost in the din of just nonstop news and information flying our way. In a way, I'd say it's inspired by me, but not based on me because... How, how far can any of us run from ourselves when doing something? If the story concept was given to someone else, it's likely it would have turned out to be different, for better or for worse. Do kids still have these early college crises? I, I would say it's probably worse today than it was. I talked about this in a previous episode, but you know, to be going through college right now, even getting a good degree, which would have considered 
been, you know, say an accounting degree, just to pick a profession that, or, you know, becoming a doctor, become a radiologist. Like these are professions that have been secure for a long time. They're just not that secure anymore. So the, you know, the, the number of people getting college degrees is much bigger. The jobs are decreasing a lot. I mean, the, the idea of being able to go do an accounting job, say 10 years from now, to me is kind of a ridiculous idea because it's repetitive work. So it's not that it's not there's going to be no need for accountants. You will still need accountants to run the artificial intelligence accountant. Just like, you know, hospitals are going to need maybe a couple radiologists who manage the process of letting the artificial intelligence radiologist who does their job way better than they do, but someone still will run the process. Yeah, I think it's these college crises are only going to get worse because we are entering a period where it's going to be much, much harder to find work and people are going to have to find their own ways to find meanings. Even right now, you have college grads in good degrees graduating from decent colleges who are driving Uber. And nothing wrong with Uber, but, you know, even that's going to be gone in 10 years because Uber is investing heavily in self-driving cars. It's just a reality. The, the world is changing. It's changing fast. And it's changing right now more drastically, I think, than it ever has in history. And I think 10 to 20 years from now, say when my daughter would be college age, I just don't know. I don't know what that college degree is going to get her. I think it's going to be a different world where she's going to be preparing for living a life that's very different than what we lived and our parents lived. Me, we being someone in their 40s right now. Yeah, I don't think these college crises are going anywhere. And I think that starting to ask the big questions and understanding it's not going to be easy, but understanding that this is the point of life, figuring out what you, what you want to do and being constantly aware of the fact that asking the question is kind of the point. Okay, the episode talks about mental hedonism. Is this really a path to happiness? Well, I talked about this in an earlier episode. I think for a lot of people, it could be. It definitely is for me. It took me a long time to figure out that one of the things that makes me happy is investing in my own mental development and, and spending a lot of time thinking and reading. And that is not for everyone, but for me, it's something that definitely works for me. And that, that led to me realizing that I wanted to create things. Process of creation for me is a sort of mental hedonism. I mean, if I, I love, you know, my own brands of physical hedonism too, which includes going to see a lot of live music. I'm really into improvisational live rock and jazz music. So I go to, for example, every year, festival in New Orleans called Jazz Fest. And Jazz Fest is not specifically about jazz, it's about the spirit of jazz. And this is one of, this is my, this is my mecca. I go there once a year. <clears throat> I have almost every year for almost the last 20 years. And I just have these kind of, you know, my physical hedonism as I'm down there experiencing these amazing one-of-a-kind, one-time bands that create and do something very special in the world of music for two weekends in New Orleans. I, I, it's not just mental hedonism for me, but then, you know, a good part of my career the rest of the year is investing in the creation of the podcast, which to me is this form of kind of mental hedonism. 
it keeps me happy to know that I'm creating something that to me has value and hopefully has value to other people. It took me a long time to figure out this was something that mattered to me, but to me, it's how I find a lot of meaning. And it's, a, it's the solution to the consuming versus creating challenge that I think is going to become more and more of a problem. If you're, if you're a teenager right now, you have access to unbelievable amounts of created content. I think it's hard to even appreciate it. So if you, you know, if you're a 13 year old kid and you open up Spotify and you're paying this small amount of money per month or your parents are, and you just have access to everything ever created musically. And while that's an amazing thing on one hand, I think it makes it hard to appreciate it. And then you go on Netflix and that seemingly free to you as well. And there you have just about everything ever created visually, both from brand new things to classic movies. And again, I think it's hard to appreciate that. You have this challenge between then, you know, am I going to create something to put into this mix of things that look like everything's already been done? How can I stand out in that? I came to realize that creating things and, you know, the main thing I'm creating at this moment is are the, are the podcast seasons. It means something. It means something to me. And again, hopefully it means something to someone else. But you have to pick something that you think you can create that's going to matter. Because in 20 years, when it's much harder to get any kind of, you know, quote unquote, traditional job, you're going to have to find things that find meaning for you. And to me, creating things, whether that's creating software or you're creating books or you're creating cooking or whatever it is that you want to create. It doesn't have to be a traditional, you know, artistic form, but the process of creating and the process of learning to create and the process of learning to create better all the time, to me, is what gives a lot of meaning. And to me, that's kind of mental hedonism, is investing in that process for yourself. Was the narrated by some guy reference in the episode a reference to the Evolve Faster podcast itself. Yeah, it was. We, we laughed at that one. Pretty meta, right? It took me several redos of the delivery of the line to get it right because I laughed a few times, but glad someone noticed. And yeah, there are quite a few Easter eggs like that that are, you know, maybe not quite as funny as the likes of The Simpsons or The Family Guy referring to themselves. But yes, we were referring to ourselves in that comment. Do you really hate the song Dust in the Wind? <laughs> well, um, I, I don't actually. That this is a that was actually a line that Antonio wrote, but it does, you know, it reminds me of uh, the scene in one of those Will Ferrell movies of him singing off key, "Dust in the Wind" at someone's someone's grave, which of course is only to be topped by Will Ferrell and Steve Carell and the other guys singing "Afternoon Delight" in the in the movie Anchorman, which. As someone who's in a band where I sing harmonies, you watch these guys and they are phenomenal singers. I mean, Steve Carell's part is way up there and it's it's, it's amazing to watch. So I'll put the links in the show notes to, to both of those clips if I can find them on YouTube. I'm sure they're out there. And if you just want to laugh at uh, a different era of music, have a look at the, co if I can remember correctly, the costumes and production of the original Kansas video for Dust in the Wind are, are pretty hilarious. So I'll put links to all that stuff just for fun. And no, I don't hate the, hate the song. A Antonio, I, mean, I probably do the same. We, we have 
he, he particularly has these strange notions that come out of nowhere. And he wrote that line and I originally thought it was silly, but then we kind of made a joke of it and it kept coming back up, the, the dust in the wind comment, which obviously has some link to being kind of an existential, you know, song lyric. So we, we kind of left it in. But do I hate the song? No, I, 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 I love the song actually. And it just be kind, of, kind of became a comedic relief without, without really meaning anything. I think that's where I'll wrap it up here. I've already gone longer than I planned to. I'm gonna to try to keep these Ask Me Anything in behind the podcast to closer to 30 minutes. Um, just to wrap up, I'll, let me get back to what I talked about at the beginning. So what's unique about this episode? So as I probably said before, each episode went through God only knows how many major changes until I finally settled and agreed that they were good enough to release. So from simple philosophical ramblings to fictional stories engulfed into philosophy, neuroscience, when the fictional story part was initially introduced, meaning like these these podcasts were originally nonfiction, where I would just take these ideas that I wanted to talk about, these proofs, and I would kind of make some, make them interesting. You know, they'd be like an interesting blog post that you might read about, you know, philosophy or psychology. But then when, when the fictional idea was introduced and what happened was I was constantly pushing to make these articles more interesting. And the most interesting way to do that was to try to add stories. So I'd add real stories like nonfiction stories. But then one day we toyed with um, a made up story and it really worked on a concept article that I had for what's, what's now probably going to end up in season three. That story was completely fiction, and it was kind of an aha moment. Those original stories, the skeleton of them looked something like this. The protagonist is confused and has a personal problem. He meets a professor-like figure who tells him a bunch of theories, and finally, the protagonist finds peace or at least finds himself able to ask better questions about the problem that he's in. So this is the kind of classic guy searching for himself story, as we started to call it. And if that sounds familiar, it's because that's the exact premise of the first episode. And it's not a bad premise. I actually, I actually really like this episode. It was one of the first ones that, it was probably in season one, it was probably like maybe the third or fourth one that was complete. And it falls first, again, because the question is the right question. So it made sense for it to be kind of a simple story about a guy going through a very normal thing. You know, he's a guy changing majors and his dad is grieving, giving him grief about that because the major he's changing to is philosophy. His dad, who's, you know, a traditional W-2 earner type of guy, as I think a lot of us can re relate to us or our parents being like that, doesn't see the value in it. And what's kind of interesting about that is I didn't think about this at the time I was writing it, but a philosophy degree is actually becoming more and more relevant today. While it maybe fell out of favor for a lot of years, there's a lot of philosophy needs coming up with the um, onset of more and more artificial intelligence. So the likes of companies like Google are actually hiring philosophers now because they have to work through a lot of problems that the AI systems are going to be solving for humanity, which require some deep thinking about consequentialism and and things of that sort. This gets talked about in um, episode EF11 about artificial intelligence. 
Anyway, so that, that's, what's, that's what's interesting about this episode is that it was the kind of original format that we ended up doing three or four episodes that all had the same thing. A guy searching for meaning about a problem in his life and he goes through this this process and you know and it became a joke that every story became Jonathan so we actually threw out all of those and the only one we kept there's maybe one left that may or may not live on in a later season but we threw out all of them and made them all original stories but it was the it was the kind of story structure that got us to realizing that the that the fictional format could really work. So there you have it. If you ever find yourself getting a pop quiz or a question about Evolve Faster Podcast Episode 1, now you know the answer. I'd like to finish the episode with a little challenge for you. All the time while creating the podcast, the podcast itself kept asking existential questions about its own purpose. But by sticking to the idea and not giving up, it soon became this kind of, as I mentioned, like, life goal or a hedonistic pleasure or you know in a way it's it's gives some existential meaning to my my life beyond things like my family so the podcast is just a tiny example of that notion everything else in life is basically the same you work hard on something for years and then what you feel in this final scene of episode ef3 casts an enormous doubt on seemingly everything and destroys kind of what you've built Every time we fall down, we have the freedom to stand back up. You have the choice to be productive or destructive. It all comes down if you can find existential purpose in what you do. If not, how can you change things? Are there corners that you haven't looked where something might be hiding that could be more precious to the way you see yourself in the world and answer that question, what am I supposed to do? So I'll end with a quote that Mr. June says to, to Jonathan at the end of their conversation, which I think kind of summarizes the whole episode and kind of the whole podcast. And he says, all I can do is help you decide if there are better questions that you could be asking. So with that, I'll leave it here. Take care and thanks for listening. The Evolve Faster podcast is written, produced, and performed by Scott Ely. Many episodes are also co-written with the help of Antonio Rosich. It takes an enormous effort to produce all the quality, original content needed for this podcast. Your support would be greatly appreciated, and you can learn about multiple ways to do so by going to evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. Here you'll find direct links to review and give the podcast five stars on key platforms like iTunes and share it on social media. These are free to do, but are critical to audience growth. And the only way to find out about new seasons is to register your email, so please do so. You will only receive valuable content and information on upcoming seasons and products. And finally, if you're benefiting from the Evolve Faster podcast, direct financial support at whatever amount you can afford is important for our survival. Running ads on a channel for free-thinking content is an inherent conflict of interest. So if you want the podcast content to remain unhindered by commercial interests and stay edgy and raw, then direct support is the best and only path to content independence. Also, writing and production of each episode of the Evolve Faster podcast is a major undertaking spanning many months. It's a labor of love, but it does need your help to survive. 
so please consider becoming a subscriber at evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. Your help and support are greatly appreciated and are what makes this podcast possible. Isn't it time for an upgrade? It's time to evolve faster.